Hi, and welcome to the Inner Network Podcast, where I chat with inspiring women about their career and advice to the next generation of founders, CEOs, and leaders in the industry. I'm your host, Kyla Kaplan, and today I'm joined by Isabel Agard. Isabel is the founder and designer at Last Object a company that focuses on finding an innovative solution to eliminating single-use products. As an eco-fighter and power mom, Isabel stands by her products and hopes to inspire others to be the change and adapt to living sustainably. I'll be leaving all of our links in the show notes, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on today and to just ask you all things about Last Object and the sustainability industry as a whole. Before we get started with Last Object, can you tell us a little bit about your background prior to founding that and what your experience was like navigating the industry? Yes, of course. Um, well, I am I'm a collaborative designer by trade and we, well, what I've been in a lot of different companies before Last Object, but mostly I've worked in the hospital industry, designing different products for leukemia patients, actually, and and also uh, uh, midwives and like area in the hospitals. So a whole birth of children scenario. But I've, I've always worked in some kind of notion with design and how to make something that is sustainable. Um, because I feel like the word sustainable also covers, of course, uh, everything that has to do with having a clean and, and good planet, but also that it makes sense that it is used sustainably. Um, so that's that's what I'm like, the, my background uh, before we founded Last Object. That's super interesting because I read that you were, you know, in design and you had a design background, but I had no idea that it was in that specific field. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you transitioned from that industry into the ideation phase of Last Object? Did those two ever overlap? Or did you have a clear end to your position in the design industry and then you went straight into founding Last Object? No, it's kind of a merge. Um, at the time I was working, uh, we had like a joint office and my brother and I and his design partner were all three designers. And we had like a joint office where we were working from. And I was at that point slowly getting out of uh, some of the work at the hospital and I was doing some different things. Uh, in general, I just got a laser cutter and I was like crazy about uh, doing all these different um, designs and working or having um, a assignments from other companies to do a laser cut actually and then my my brother and, and I and uh, and Cole our partner he um, we were actually just sitting at lunch and we were talking about like what we wanted to do in life and how what we were doing now and how we could do something that was more fulfilling um because we all like we all love designing, but we really wanted to do something that had like an impact 
a really positive impact on the planet. And, and we were just like playing around with different scenarios, what it could be and what would be fun. Where could we really make a difference? And that's where like single use and objects that came landing on our table. And we started looking into like the numbers of like how how many single use Q-tips, tissues, straws. You have so many different things throughout your life. And we started looking at our own life and looking at the numbers, looking at the production and how everything was like kind of merged together and how how awful this industry actually is and how us consuming something and you know having something produced shipped packaged you know 50 times until it gets to your local store for you to use it and throw it out you know it's it was just like it was such it became such a crazy thing that we have in our society and um and this is this is where the whole the whole thing merged it was we saw this problem we said if we could just solve some of these issues, some of these single-use items who could really, on the long run, make a huge impact. Yeah, I really like that you, your brother and Cole were able to really come up with that concept. And I think being as designers as well, you guys do have the background to really be able to make that product come to life. But can you take us back to you know, those first steps that you guys took when it came to looking at the materials and figuring out, I guess, the way that these products would really perform. What were your resources that you guys used and how did you really plan to make those designs? Yeah, so first we actually looked at, well, okay, what are some of the single-use products that are really harmful for the environment? And we found like a top 10 list um, and you would see straws, for example. But there are so many different designs for a reusable alternative. And, and we didn't want to design something there's already a good solution to. So that's why the Q-tip, when we saw the, the cotton swab, um, we could just see that this was something that none of us had seen. And we started to research. Nobody had really invented anything that was that really could replace this product and and we could see that it was actually very harmful for the environment especially because a lot of people discard it um, wrongly or flush it down the toilet and that's why like it will go through this filtration the core of it will go through uh, filtration systems and actually end up directly into our oceans and sea creatures will eat it because it's so small and so there is like there there is like a layer to it more than just this is something that pollutes. And um, and this is where we started. Um, we start, We actually started designing on a lot of different um, objects, but this is where we found we could solve it in the best way design-wise. Um, so we, we always, and we do this in all our products, we really try to make it look like the original single-use item because it's really important for us that there's not a huge manual to how to use this but that it makes sense when you see it, when you look at it, when you take it up, you know, oh, this goes in my ears. Oh, I clean it like this. Ah, okay. So, um, so that's our goal. And that's, a, that's how we kind of, how the design phase started in us. That's awesome because I feel like people that are 
looking into alternatives for the single use products, especially because you guys have last swab, last tissue, and now last round. What can you say to people that are maybe a little hesitant to start using those products because they don't think it will perform as well as what they are already using? And of course, it does perform as well and if not better, but I feel like there's still a sense of reservation when it comes to using new products like that, because people don't think that it will perform to the way that they like it to. Yes, of course. I think that the best thing I can say is test it out because it's very, it's very much about your own experience. Um, We've been very hesitant. We're all very addicted to our swabs, our personal swabs. <laughs> and uh, I even heard, I had a actually an interview with a, a wonderful woman on another podcast. And she said that she had been using, she'd actually always had a bit of a problem with ear infection. Um, and after she swapped her uh, single use to our version, she said she hadn't had ear infection in like a year. And that was like amazing. That's why she wanted to do the talk. And I think like these stories, just like they keep coming to me, and and I'm very, I'm very honored, and I'm really happy that this is like that is that people have such a good experience. We also have people that come back and say, oh, they don't um, absorb water, like they don't take water out of my ear, and so they're like they're different. Um, experiences with this product like with other products i think it's all about you testing it out and figuring out if you if it works for you or if it does and i also have actually a customer came back to me and said i couldn't really get it to absorb but i actually put a little piece of a, a fabric every time i want to like on the tip of the swap so so people can also work around it because they really want to have this zero waste lifestyle and i think it's i think the most important thing is that you do something that is that you're comfortable with and that is something that is a good experience for you because then it will make you do other choices throughout your life and throughout your everyday life especially that will have a positive effect because you have a positive effect by using this. So um, yeah, so it's all about, I think, testing it yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also a little bit about perspective. Like if you're not open to testing it out and actually welcoming the zero waste lifestyle, then you're not really going to get anywhere. So I really like that, you know, you're recommending that, you know, there are some areas where it might not be the same, but it can be the same if you do, you know, work around it and you're just accepting that lifestyle and that way of living. Exactly. And it can change. Like in the beginning, when I wanted to replace our straws here at home, I bought like these metal uh, straws and I felt like there was, I didn't know if they were clean. I couldn't see it. And then I bought glass ones afterwards. And I'm so happy because I can really see that they're clean and they just work for me. But other people are like, oh no, they break. They love the metal ones. So it's also sometimes very much about you and your habits and what you feel um, that's why it's important to to test different stuff. I'm I'm on my third brand of uh, reusable diapers because you know the first ones they didn't work for me and my baby. The next ones yeah. they're not. Uh, but maybe the, these these will. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny because I actually <laughs> this might be TMI, but my mom was telling me a long time ago that um, when I was a baby, she was using reusable diapers because that's all she could afford at the time and Mm. it's really interesting that that kind of went away but now it's obviously something that's being adopted so I'll have to ask her how those went for her but (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's also it. Like the single use industry, it's so new. We're so like our um, our generation is so comfortable using single use products because it's what we know. We couldn't. It, it's really hard for us to you know not use a single use diaper. But it's something that's only been around for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. And actually, that was something that I really wanted to ask you about was how have you seen the other industries changing when it comes to adapting sustainability practices? Because if this is a new concept that's, you know, hasn't been around for a while and now it's kind of backtracking to, okay, we have to be more aware of our waste. How have you seen that change in, you know, the cosmetics industry or even just like the CPG industry as a whole? How has that changed in your eyes? Well, I can see a huge interest. And this is also what we found when we when we started Last Object was that there is such a huge customer base that is ready to change just, you know, small habits to make a huge difference in their everyday life. The customer group is huge. And this is why I think that a lot of already existing brands are trying to do something, a green version of their brand. Um, so, and I think this is really positive. I, I think it's very, very positive. And I can see that people are starting to look at packaging. They're starting to look at um, materials and and how, how it's explained and explain why. Because sustainability is a very complex notion. It's, it's really hard to find, actually figure out if something is sustainable or if it's greenwashing. And that's why I feel like right now, because there are so many other companies that are emerging out of this want to be more sustainable as a customer and as a human being in general. And it's it's growing. But the, the whole complexity of sustainability is still quite new. So it's there's a lot of greenwashing coming up. There's a lot of things that you could you could see, you know, something made of bamboo and you're like, oh, this is this is sustainable, but it's not necessarily sustainable. You have to really go in. Like I've I've learned so much the last two years of things that I actually thought was really sustainable, but aren't because of the way that it's produ- produced by the way that, for example, bamboo is just an example because bamboo can be very good, but a lot of fabrics are made of bamboo. But if you look at it, sometimes it's actually viscose. And this is something that's extracted chemically out of a fiber and it's not necessarily very good in production or in the in the production of the fabric. So it's, it's just, it's a very, very uh, difficult uh, subject actually so so I think I'm seeing to answer your question I'm seeing some amazing and, and great alternatives uh, to different things and products that we have and people are looking at a lot of different aspects in their companies but I'm also seeing people going away where they're not really looking into what actually is better for the planet that's interesting because I was reading up on greenwashing and it's something that a lot of people, of course, aren't aware of. I think they're aware that, you know, there is products that are sustainable and are not sustainable. I feel like they don't really get into the nitty gritty of exactly what you were saying with how things are produced. So what steps and resources can people take to be more aware of those products that are maybe greenwashing and just overall their contribution to global waste? 
I think there's no like there's no stamp yet. There's nothing where I really feel comfortable pointing toward. Uh, we all know that when things are ecologically grown, that that's really good, but it can also mean a lot of consumption of water. So there, it's like both ways. I think that I see a lot of customers coming to us actually and asking us a lot of questions. You know, how is this produced? In what way is it recyclable? How do I discard it? You know, it's and I think this is the best thing that you can do as a consumer because it really puts the companies up for the task like oh oh I don't know oh maybe or what 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 is our code here what should we um where are we sustainable but because it's not always about how long uh, it takes to disintegrate or how it's being produced it can be a combination of the two it can also be something completely a third thing so um there's no check mark. I I would just like I I would love and I can see that people are already doing this, but I, I love when people really get into it and, and start trying to figure out, well, what is really good bamboo fabric or what is a really good when I buy a piece of furniture? Um, what should I look after? Um, in general, like my only like top or my my thumb of rule you could say would be does it last because if you can buy something that you have for years and then you sell it to somebody else because you can't use it anymore but it still has value this is where something really starts to have a very very amazing footprint because it's something that has been it's it's not it's something that's been produced but it's being used for so many years that you know the tree has already grown up and there's a new one there so it's this whole buy discard culture that i think is the worst for us and buying something that just really lasts that is a good quality is a really good way of um, of making sure that you don't create too much trash or unnecessary pollution I think a lot of people are hesitant to make that initial investment when it comes to products that are more sustainable and are eliminating the single-use plastic, but I think it's so important. And again, that all comes with knowledge and just the ability to know more about what you're buying. I want to go back a little bit with what you said about bamboo, because that really triggered my, my interest in terms of how you find out how it's produced. So I know you mentioned that it is it is difficult to really get to the root of how that product is produced and you know all of that information. But when it comes to, for example, companies that are advertising sustainable use of bamboo, the way it's produced, is that something that they would typically include on the packaging or is that something that you really have to dig for? It could be something that you have to dig for. Uh, We really wanted in the beginning when we did last tissue, we wanted to do the tissue and the tissues in bamboo. And this is where my research started because I've heard so many positive things about bamboo growing quick, not needing that much water, being very absorbent. Um, And this is the case, and this is very correct, but it's very, very hard to actually find bamboo that actually is sustainably produced. And also to have the wear and tear that you, for example, have in cotton, which is a similar product. So I haven't looked into, for example, bamboo chairs or tables and that is something that's a completely different production method that's more about actually shipping that you should look at where that can be very costly to ship around the the world if it's not weighs a lot but if it's um, 
a huge product. But if you look at uh, fabrics, um, I, to this date, have not found anything that I can be sure is produced in the way that I want it to. That's why we've done organic cotton with our tissues, because there is a huge um, production of this product on the market. So you can be very specific and you can get a really, really good production facility to do so that reuses water and that has all these things set up. But it it is hard for a consumer to actually really dig into it and find out where is it sourced or how good is it. Of some of well, in in bamboo fabrics, um, you you have to see if it's bamboo fiber. This is good. But if it's bamboo viscose, this is not good. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, like you mentioned, it's an industry that is continuing to share more. So I do agree that it's it's difficult to really pinpoint um, the production and, you know, what particular type of the product they're using. So, you know, just having these conversations with you, it's really, I feel like the gears in my head are really kind of going with, okay, well, what am I using? And is it viscose? Is it, you know, is it bamboo? Is it real bamboo? So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really interesting that you say those, um, that you say those points. I want to touch on the current landscape of the world and the industry right now with coronavirus. So I was reading that 4.2 billion single-use masks are thrown out every day. And to me, that's just an alarming number. And you guys just launched Last Mask. And it's so refreshing to see a company address those numbers and really take charge with producing, you know, sustainable masks. So can you tell us more about how Last Mask came to life? Mm, Yes, we actually looked at it quite early on um, in the, but I think in the beginning, like everybody else, we didn't really know like how, how big is this going to get? And and when it got to Denmark, uh, it was still hard to see that it would travel the whole world and that it would have such a huge impact. So I don't think, and also now I don't know how it is in Canada, but now here in Denmark, at least. There, you can't go to a grocery store without having a mask. You can't go actually anywhere public indoors without wearing a mask. So it it's become really, really big. Um, but it's this last three months where we have started to, to create our product. And it was actually not the mask that came first. It was kind of, it was the box because you know, reusable masks were, was there already something that was starting to happen very early in the pandemic, but, and also of course, um, spray, but it was this combination of actually having both in one uh, that we saw was a really interesting thing to, to create because here you could have a solution where you didn't, you know, have, have to find your mask and, the back of your bag underneath all your makeup or whatever you have in your bag and, and the spray, where is that? And how is it sanitized if, if everything is just bundled up? So I think this combination of the, the carry case was where we thought, oh, okay, we actually have something now that that could potentially be something that would be really useful and that nobody has done yet. And um, so this was this was where it started. Yeah, I I feel like even with myself and having my mask, I'm I am looking for it in the bottom of my purse and I don't know how clean the bottom of my purse is. So <laughs> I love that you guys, you know, have married the two products 
into the kit and are really taking the importance of, you know, the cleanliness of the mask and just making sure that it's away from other things. Because if you're putting it on a surface, then, you know, there's the germs and that's what you're trying to avoid. So I really like that. And yeah, I commend you guys for really taking the initiative with creating Last Mask. I want to go back a bit when it came to starting Last Object and your experience with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, because I feel like, I feel like those platforms are amazing and they really bring the product to life. But I actually haven't spoken to many people that I've used it and that I've had an experience with it. So I want to know a little bit more about what your experience was like using the platforms and what your experience was like using the platform as a sustainable company. And I'm happy that you, the the second thing you're mentioning about having it as a sustainable platform, Brett, because this is actually something I think is really, really important uh, in the way that we've done our launches. We, um, We started last swap out on Kickstarter more as kind of a uh, a validation of our product. Is this something that's completely crazy? Uh, do you guys also want to buy it? <laughs> Is the price good? Are the colors good? You know, it's kind of a test for us because it's very, very unsustainable and also not possible to produce something with no money, but to produce a huge, huge amount of products for a price so that you can get it down for a price that a customer would buy it for and then people are like and no yeah no i don't like that that's not something that i want because then you've just created so much trash that when years pass and you still haven't gotten rid of it you'll have to throw out so so it's a sustainable choice but it's also an economical choice but we chose it for the validation because we didn't want to produce anything that the people didn't want, or maybe we just had to adjust it a bit, or you know, and and also color wise, we produce we introduced so many colors that if I should sit and say, okay, I think that seventy percent is gonna have they want the red, and you know, twenty percent is gonna want the green, and then suddenly it's the other way around because I don't know, <laughs> so doing this on Indiegogo and getting people to choose their colors, then we could actually order so precise numbers of the different colors and such a big order that we could get the price down for the customers and us and the environment to be happy. Yeah. Customer feedback is so important. And did you get a lot of that when the products finally shipped to these first adopters of the product? I don't know how it truly works with Indiegogo after the product has been funded and they get, you know, the product in mail and they actually try it out. Are they required to give detailed customer feedback afterwards? No, but you can prompt everybody with an email or an update and and link to a survey. We did that link to a survey. And also if it's very specific questions, like, can you please, you know, if you bought this product, the makeup version, um, how do you feel that it works, you know, removing this or adding this or what's the texture for you? Did you feel, and then you could kind of, you know, have some quick um, A, B, C, D answers so that it would be easy and and not a big hassle for your customers to fill out 
that was so valid and amazing feedback that we got. I would say Kickstarter and also Indiegogo is especially Kickstarter is just an amazing community of very passionate people that have a lot of opinions. And it's so, so amazing to go through them and hear people's thoughts and change up along the way. We added a new color. We've added uh, new colors on all our products um, because people say, oh, I, why, don't, why didn't you have the black one this time? We want a black one. And we took it off because we were like, oh, it didn't sell the, that good for the other products that we did. But then, you know, at, in this product, it was just such uh, so important that we actually had that black color. And, and also the purple that, that we've added on, on last swap. And I think it's really, really good to have feedback while you run a campaign because then you can actually fulfill the wishes of your customers because they could have been, the, they're the ones who say we want it in purple and then they can actually choose a purple swap at the end of the campaign. It's also really nice afterwards because then you have 40,000 users that have just received their last swap and they've, you know, unpacked it and what's their first feeling uh, experience with it and how can we make sure that the next shipment is even better. So um so that's been so valuable both of, both things. Right. Yeah, I think both platforms are really great. And it's, it's a great way to, like you mentioned, just make sure that you have that validation prior to making all of those products, especially because you guys are a sustainable company. And that's the goal is to avoid doing that. So yeah, that's really great that you had a positive experience with both platforms. When it came to growing your audience and consumer base after launching on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, what was that like for you? And did you have to educate a lot of those new customers? I think that after the last swap, we had a really good base and we had a lot of good platforms, our Instagram and our Facebook, where it was, um, and also our website, there was like a really good um, flow there where people were already had a really good base, but we also knew a lot about those customers. So we could, we could find the next ones quite easy Uh, but at some point you kind of it seemed like we had gotten all of the low-hanging fruit and uh, and that's where you kind of have to work uh, on different strategies we've used a lot of facebook advertisement to grow our audience and it's mostly because you you have a lot of information on facebook users but also you can go in and you can really find out what is really, really uh, effective when you show your product. So for example, we could test uh, different imagery, different um, taglines or um, mentions, and this got us really, really close and got everything that we, how we explain our product really sharp because people don't necessarily want to be, uh, to click on something that's like, you know, uh, stop using single use, use this, you know, that's not what, that's not nice. But if you kind of uh, explain like how it works and how this is just a really better alternative, then it's more positive. And then we got a better attraction. So it was really nice for us to use this media because it's so, it changes so quickly and you can see the numbers are, it's not like having an ad on a bus. You have no idea what customers came because of that ad or, and what customers didn't, but here you can track it and you can test so many things that you can use 
afterwards on how you build your, what pictures you use on your Instagram, uh, what things you write on your website. Yeah, I think it's also really interesting when it comes to Facebook and Instagram advertising is you're really able to utilize their testing methods. So like you mentioned, when it came to testing different headlines and copies and just really doing that A-B testing, I think it's so important. And especially with your company, when it comes to finding the right messaging, did that take a bit of trial and error for you guys when it came to, like you mentioned, you obviously don't want to hit the customer with a messaging of stop using this and stop doing what you're doing and use our product. How long did it take for you guys to really perfect that messaging strategy? We're still perfecting it. Um, I think that it changes. The different products have different um, edges and different customer groups, actually. So, And also our whole organization as a whole, if it's last object uh, that we want to just attract people to, that uh, changes constantly. So we're still uh, it's it's an ever going thing. It's kind of like when do you stop studying? Like you never really stop studying, <laughs> but you of course have like a really big learning curve in the beginning, and then now it's it's more of a I'll take a course there and there and get more information about that and that. Yeah, tiny tweaks along the way for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When it came to navigating the industry as a female founder, did you ever notice any? hardships or obstacles along the way launching your business as a female founder. I feel like now more than ever, female founders are getting the spotlight and they're getting a lot of support in the industry. What was your experience like as a female founder starting Last Object? Well, I think my experience was that you never really ask a male founder, how is it to be a male founder? Um, You ask a female founder, how is it to be a female founder? Because it's it's a, a smaller amount of founders that are females. So I think that in that sense, it's more of something that I've talked about or it's not, it's never something I've felt in the industry or something that I feel in a, in a daily basis. Um, I see that a lot of, a lot of sustainable companies are female founded, um, which is, is it a trend or is it just what I see? I don't know, (laughs) but I think there is something um, to being aware of the planet and being aware of, of what you want to let your, your children um, be stuck with. So, and, and I don't know if it's, an instinct or if at all it is something that is more female driven than male driven but uh, there is a lot of wind and there is a lot of um there's a lot of positive things by being a female in this industry like it is a very positive thing to be sustainable right now in the design world so i think that both things um is positive uh, i don't know if it would be different uh, i think the only thing that is more tough and it doesn't have to be because people live different lifestyles, but becoming a mother here this summer, I can feel now juggling work life and personal life is difficult. And it's of course difficult for a man too, but it is in a different degree, especially in the first, the first years. Right. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned that you don't ask a man how it is being a male founder. And I think, you know, the conversations around female founders is a conversation that should be highlighted. But I also think 
we should start moving away from, I guess, just that separation of the experiences. But I think now more than ever, females are really getting the opportunity to shine. So it's great to see that, you know, as a female founder, you have had positive experiences founding Last Object. And, you know, I feel like you've had the support as well with your co-founders. So that's really great to see. And now being a new mother, how has it been like navigating through that work-life balance, like you mentioned? Because I can only imagine, you know, that first year is probably so difficult just to juggle both because obviously, you know, they're both really important parts of your life, but how has it been like navigating through that? And now, especially with the work from home situation, has it been difficult? Has it been positive? What was that like for you? Well, it was, it was quite good timing wise um, with the Corona because, or with, uh, with the lockdown situation because of Corona here in Denmark, because that was about the same time I had to go off because of um, being at the end of my pregnancy and uh, and then of course having my baby so those months were quite silent or not silent they were never silent but they were a little bit more quiet and I would say I have not figured out the balance yet uh, of the work and personal life uh, but I'm also only four months in to this new world I think I see at least that there are some really positive things about looking at some of the things that I'm learning now as a mom, some of the products that I need to have to be using that are single use. How can we improve them? How do they work? It's it's a completely new world for me. And I feel like it it's giving us a lot of information and for our other product. It doesn't have to be baby products, but just this whole going um, being at home uh, mom, <laughs> I think has changed uh, my opinion on a lot of stuff. So I think it, you have to look at the positive things and and really just make them stronger parts of your everyday life because it 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 will always. I I haven't. I think it's gonna be hard in different ways uh, to have the two worlds merge. But he does come with me to my workplace and that that works out pretty good sometimes and sometimes not. <laughs> yeah, I think that's important having that support, but I think it is kind of perfect timing. I mean, of course, no one wanted the lockdown and no one wanted coronavirus, but I think I've heard from a lot of coworkers as well that are new mothers that it's nice that they're able to spend, you know, the first year and the most important year at home and not having to, especially with working from home, not having to go and commute and possibly risk, you know, getting COVID and then bring it bringing it back home. So it's really nice that, you know, you're able to be a new mother, but still work from home in a sense. Mm. What has been your biggest learning moment when it's come to starting your company and really just navigating through the ins and outs of being a founder? Can you recall what the biggest learning moment has been for you? I think there are a lot of different learning moments. I feel like every time I've been in a situation where we could go the way that everyone goes, or we could go the way that would be the best and that's sometimes the hard way that sometimes you know strapping up a lot of hours or choosing a material that's more expensive but it's just better for the environment or you know when we when we do pivot because we are very very strongly motivated by our goal and we are very 
very in line with what is happening uh, sustainably wise um, in in the industry right now. So I feel like the, I've learned the hard way when we when we do what everybody else does or we do something that is less sustainable and different choices of shipping or something similar to that then i feel like we fail that's a really good learning moment because then we don't do it again but it's also been a really nice learning moment that when we actually do the right thing the green thing then it's also just given even more than i had imagined that it would give so this is where every every time I have to take a decision for one or the other way, or every time the team has to, then it's such an amazing experience to see that every time we choose right, we also are rewarded. And when it comes to your advice for people that are, you know, wanting to follow a similar career path, what advice do you have for people who are passionate about starting a business centered around sustainability, but they don't necessarily know where to start. Yes. Well, I think one of our biggest forces and something I would I would really, really want to have known beforehand, but also you know, something that I think that helps a lot is one, be very open about what you're creating. Don't sit on your design idea. Don't, you know, keep it to yourself because I've done designs that are, that I thought was absolutely amazing, but nobody else thought they were amazing and that can really lead you down a a wrong path but also getting people's input if you can if you can take it and because it it will be feeling like criticizing your own baby but or having your baby critiqued but I think it's really important to to show people your design and show people your work your service your whatever you're you're creating because it's so important that that you constantly get feedback and they can change up your idea and you can implement it, but create the best version of whatever it is. Um, and this said, you also need the other thing. And that is do something you're passionate about, create something that you can stand by yourself 100% because you'll have to do it all the way down the road. And it's not fun to do it's not fun to create something that's that's not that you're not passionate about or that you don't believe in. Uh, it's so much more stronger. It's so much more motivating, and that's why you're sitting here, you know, on a Sunday at five o'clock doing a podcast. It's because it's <laughs> here. So this is your life. This is what yeah. is uh, you are you love. Yeah, I think that's so important. Is just getting started and really just making sure that you know it is a passion of yours and it's something that, like you mentioned, you want to do long term because at the end of the day, it's going to be yourself. And of course you have co-founders and you have people that support you, but you know, it's still you and it's still what you're doing and your passion. So I think that's really important. And, you know, of course you've had a lot of success in Last Object in your business as a whole, but do you have a particular pinch me moment that you always kind of look back at and really just smile about that that happened to you and that happened to Last Object or just in general, I guess what you've done in your industry. <laughs> yeah, the the moment that pops uh, into my head is definitely um, when we had launched. Um, we just launched last fall, and we had like a couple of weeks before we gotten some really good uh, feedback, uh, email wise, uh, com- converting emails, um, and 
and we were quite excited. We were like, oh my God, I think we actually did a product. We're actually doing a Kickstarter that could potentially be huge. And when we launched and the numbers just, they just kept rolling. And I just remember like refreshing the page constantly and just looking at like, oh my God, five new backers. Oh my God, 35 new backers, you know, and just looking at like that huge response that we got the first couple of days and also the whole campaign was just so exciting. But those, like those first days were just, uh, that were that was that was a pinch me moment. Um, I would go to bed checking, you know, how many backers we had, and then the first thing I did when I woke up, how many backers do we have now? Because you know the U.S. and Canada has been awake while I was sleeping, you know. So it was, it was so it was crazy. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and yeah, that's so exciting. And I'm definitely after this interview, I'm definitely going to go on Kickstarter and pre-order the last round because that's a product that I hate buying. I hate having to buy, like, I hate having to buy cotton rounds that I just have to throw away and then I just have to buy it again next month. So I'm definitely going to do that right after this call. <laughs> but I want to end things off with how people can help and how people can get involved with Last Object. Do you guys have any sort of program or just resources where, where people can go and know more about, you know, sustainability as a whole, just to educate themselves? We actually started a blog. We have our website where you can get every all information about us but we all have on our website a tab called blog and that has been like an ongoing place where we kind of talk about you know bamboo like i mentioned you know we talk about sustainability christmas gifts how to uh, look at it how to explain it and we try to be funny and we try to be light-hearted so it's not like really tough feel bad articles it's it's but it's a really good and fine understanding of of getting a bit into this world and into what makes sense and what doesn't and i love that you mentioned last round as as a product that that you would want to uh, to use because you consume a lot of cotton rounds and that's that's exactly what is the most this is the best thing you can do. It's not going out and buying a lot of zero waste objects. You know, it's it's finding out, looking at your habits, like, do I even use Q-tips or do I, what is actually something that I can replace and that would make a difference? So, so really looking at your habits and I feel like our blog is, is a fun way to kind of also explore different, you know, single use objects that you can replace also by other companies, for example, coffee cups, the, there are some amazing and cute and great designs out there with, uh, with like reusable coffee cups that you can take with you and get filled up at Starbucks. And it's a really fun little habit to kind of get into, to find out what you can kind of replace throughout your everyday life that would make a difference and then start understanding how is this compared to what uh, what is actually happening in the world and what 
products are actually really bad. Yeah, I think the first step is definitely getting educated about everything. And you're right, the fun part comes after where you're looking at everything in your room or bathroom and just really finding out what you can eliminate. So I'll definitely be checking out your blog and I'll be linking everything in the show notes. But thank you again, Isabel, for joining me on the podcast today and sharing you know, everything about Last Object, how you founded it, as well as you know the conversations around sustainability, because I think they're very important and they're important conversations to highlight, especially in the industry where not a lot of people are talking about it necessarily. Um, so I'm so thankful to have you on today. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, great. It was really a great conversation. I hope that there's something in there that can inspire someone. 